The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. Have you guys ever asked, what is God's will for my life? Or how can I discern God's will? For my life, two big questions that uh, many times as believers we're gonna we're gonna wrestle through. But then, even maybe if you're not a believer in the room, maybe there's a question of what is what is my fate, what is my destiny, what am I pursuing, what am I running after? And this could start from a very young age. Now, I did not come to to know the Lord till I was 20 or 21, so I don't know exactly what young uh, kids are asking about the will of the Lord, but I'm thinking about things like, should I go to this camp? Should I participate in this after-school activity? Should I be friends with that person? Should I be a part of uh, a play or a sport or a thing that's gonna take my time? And then as we, as we grow, we get towards the end of our, our high school years, we start to ask, um, should I go to school? Should I go to college? Which school should I go to? Should I be... Do school part-time? Should I work part-time? What should I do? What what is my purpose? What am I pursuing? What do I love? What am I going to be about with my life? And then as we get into our 20s and our 30s, we're asking somewhat similar questions, but what's the Lord's will for what I should do? Where should I work? Who should I be friends with? Who should I live with? Where should I live? Should I live with that person or this person? Am I called to singleness or am I called to get married? Should I go on a date with him? Should I get married to her? What is God's will? How do I discern this? How do I know what is the right thing to do? And then we get into our our 40s, 50s, 60s, I don't know, 40s, kind of the midlife crisis. I feel like that's when that comes. Maybe maybe it comes younger. What's my purpose in life? Where am I going? Why am I here? What, what does God want from me? We get in our 50s and 60s. When, when am I going to retire? What should I do with my money? How should I lead my family? How should I invest in my community? How do I invest in my church and in my neighborhood? We're asking these questions about what the will of the Lord is. We retire. Should I, should I go pick up seashells by the seashore? That's hard to say. John Piper, that's, that's, his, that's his phrase. Is that what I should go do? Should I go live in a slum in Kenya? Should I... Go be a part of a new church plant and invest faithfully. What is God's will for my life? And how am I going to be able to discern God's will for my life? Well, I think that a chief end of God's will that hopefully we've, we've tasted and seen over these last few weeks is that we are to know Jesus and we are to make Jesus known. We are, we are coming out of a, a series with, that was called crucified, uh, The Crucified King. We've been studying Matt, the Gospel of Matthew for four, four and a half years now. We get to the climax, and the King, Jesus, is crucified. And then we ask, what, how are we to follow this crucified King? And we've articulated that we are to make Jesus known. That is our, our church's vision, make Jesus known. And it fits in this Great Commission really well. But as we, as we try to discern what God's will is, I think about passages like Matthew 22, the first 
and great commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I don't think it includes strength in Matthew 22. That is, that is a, the first and great commandment is that we are to know Jesus. We are to know God. We are to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then Matthew 28, kind of the passage that we came out of that uh, Carrie just read for us, is that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. So we are to make Jesus known. And that is really our chief end, is making Jesus known. Now, how exactly does that, what, what exactly does that look like? How is that going to play out? And that's what we've been covering the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, I talked about uh, discipleship and the need to invest in each other. We, we distinguish kind of discipleship, and we're going to come to evangelism here in a second. We distinguish the two, discipleship. Um, many ways, there are two sides of the same coin, but discipleship is investing in, in each other as believers, seeing each other presented mature in Christ, Colossians 1, 28. And then last week, Trevor helpfully talked about evangelism. He said evangelism is inviting people to be reconciled to God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 we are reconciled in order to help others be reconciled. And he gave us kind of five key ways that we're to, we're to take from that. We're to have a love for Jesus, first and foremost. Now, in many ways, loving Jesus and knowing Jesus are, are the same thing. Knowing in, in, in Old Testament, depending on how, where you're reading, knowledge is a very intimate, deep knowledge, almost a a love. So he emphasized that we are to have a love for Jesus. We are to know Jesus. And if we're going to evangelize well, we need to have a willingness to say no. And I think that was, that was paradigm shifting for me. The, the staff have been talking about over the last four or five weeks, we've been kind of talking about our time, our productivity, how, uh, what the Lord is kind of calling us to do with our time. A willingness to say no is in many ways because anything we say yes to, we are saying no to an infinite number of things. I think about it in a very basic way. Tomorrow night, TCGS men, we're going to get out on the, on the basketball court. Um, we're going to try to show that we're not too old, that we're reasonably in shape. Drew Plumley is going to lead us uh, in that charge. And, and we're going to go play some basketball at, at Pelham First Baptist. I have no idea who we're playing, but we're going, to do, we're going to do our best. You guys can show up. It'll be a lot of fun, um, I'm sure. Um, but with that, uh, I'm, I'm saying yes to playing basketball. My wife and I, we debated it. Oh, should I? Monday night's the valuable time in our family to invest in the body. I'm saying yes to playing basketball, and I think it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited to hang out with Reagan and Roman and Drew and all the guys. But by me saying yes to that, I'm automatically saying no to many other things. I'm saying no to having any of you guys over for dinner tomorrow night. I'm, I'm saying no to having my neighbors over for dinner to try to invest in them. But I think it's a worthwhile thing for me to invest in. So I said yes. And so as we think about evangelism, we need to have a willingness to say no because everything we say yes to is saying no to a million other things. I thought that was so helpful from Trevor. I think about that a willingness to say no, because his third thing was hospitality. It's the secret sauce of evangelism. Hospitality. So we need a willingness to say no so we can be hospitable. 
And then, I don't know if you guys ever noticed this, Trevor, I feel like he's not in here right now, he's with the kids, but sometimes I feel like he makes up words, um, and I thought stick to I don't know if I'm saying that right, was a made-up word. It's not a made-up word. It is, I think, in the dictionary. Casey and I were Googling it back there when he, when he said it last week. There's a stick to about evangelism. You just got to stick to it. You just got to keep sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed like a farmer. It's going to require years and years and years of investment. So you stick to it. And then the last thing is confidence that God does the work. God is the one who changes heart, hearts. And so third, the final kind of emphasis on how we are going to go about making Jesus known is what we're going to cover tonight, and that is missions. Something that's very near and dear, um, super important to, to my heart and to uh, what the Lord has, has done in and through me. So we're going to ask three questions. Um, what is missions? What is a missionary And what does missions require of us individually and as a church? What is missions? What is a missionary? What does missions require of us? We're going to be in Romans chapter 15. I think in the blue Bible I looked at it, it was like around 1,000, page 1,050, maybe 1,051. If you're using your blue Bibles, hopefully I'm getting you close there. Romans 15. So, Romans uh, is written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to have a a graphic on the screen of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. Essentially, the book of Acts, starting in about chapter 12. um, You can't can't see it, but there's some verses that describe each of the the three missionary journeys. Paul takes these, these journeys to see the gospel Go forward. And these missionary journeys are are the basis for Acts. And then out of Acts, out of these missionary journeys, we get a lot of the letters to these different places to Ephesus and to Galatia and to Colossae. The book of Romans is a book that is occasioned by missions. Paul has invested much time in the Roman Empire, in, in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, and he now has a desire to go to Rome. You'll, you'll see it kind of at the end of, of Matthew or of Romans 15, starting in verse 22. He starts talking about his desire to go uh, to Rome, but he's first going to have to go to Jerusalem and drop off some money that, um, that, that churches and, and places have given for the, for the gospel to go forward. But it's occasioned by missions, this this book. It's occasioned by missions because it's looking at the relationship in many ways of the Jew and the Gentile. Jews are the people of God, the Old Testament people of God, Israel. And then the Gentiles are non-Jews, the nations. And, And we're looking at the relationship of Jew and Gentile. I look at a verse like, uh, Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now this relationship of, of Jew and Gentile fills Paul's letters. It fills Romans. If you read Romans, you're going to read the word Jew and Gentile over and over again. It fills books like Ephesians, Galatians, the beginning of 1 Corinthians. It's a central aspect of this, of this work is a relationship of Jew and Gentile. I think about specifically in, in Romans. We have Romans uh, 1 through 3 as we think about missions. 
Romans 1 through 3 is, is, is debating what's the relationship of the law? Do we need to obey the law in order to be a follower of Jesus? Romans 4, what is the relationship with Abraham? So Abraham is, is the father of Israel. He is, he is a patriarch of Israel. What is our relationship with Abraham as uh, maybe non-Jews? Romans 7, what is the relationship of sin and the law? In Romans 9 through 11, what is Israel's future as the people of God, as Gentiles are being grafted and rooted in? And then Romans 14 and 15, where we're going to kind of start our time tonight. Do, do uh, Gentiles need to obey the food and the ritual laws that are in place? Do they need to become Jewish in order to appropriately follow Jesus? But we're going to see that Jew and Gentile, they are one and the same. The gospel has gone forth to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, Romans 1.16. So we're going to start in Romans 15, verse 8, kind of a little running up, up to there, uh, the few verses prior. Paul is emphasizing that he wants harmony with one another, wants harmony for the Jew and Gentile to be in accord with Christ Jesus, that together they would be united, Jew and Gentile. They would have one voice glorifying God. That's verse 6. And then therefore, they're to welcome one another. They're to welcome, this welcome language entails strangers, entails people who are far from the Lord, people who we, who we don't know, people who are not like us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So then starting in verse 8, we're going to read verses 8 through 13 and then kind of walk back through them. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So Paul starts off, For I tell you that Christ, Christ, Jesus, the promised Messiah, came to be a servant he became a servant. Mark 10, 45, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus foundationally comes as a servant. And who does he come to? To the circumcised. The circumcised are the people of Israel. They are, they are Jews. Uh, Abraham was given the sign of circumcision. So Jesus comes as a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to show God's love, to show God's faithfulness, to show God's commitment to his promises in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So Jesus came to confirm these promises that were already made to the patriarchs. Now, who are the patriarchs? Now, the patriarchs generally would be 
um, thought of as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you read through the Bible, a common language that you're going to hear is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's going to generally kind of be the, the patriarchs of Israel. Now, obviously, there's many other important um, kind of fathers of, of the faith, in especially Genesis. But we're thinking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise uh, to bless Abraham so that he would be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. In Genesis 15, he makes a promise to Abraham. Uh, again, I'm going to make your people essentially as many as the stars. We can walk outside here tonight. It's going to be dark. As many as the stars as you can see, which we may not be able to see very many stars. I know we're going to have a lot of light and all of that around us. But think about Abraham. There's no artificial light around. He's looking at the stars. There's so many stars. I'm going to bless you and make your nation as many stars as you can see or as many uh, pieces of sand on the seashore as you can number. That's how I'm going to bless your, uh, your nation and your descendants. Think about Isaac. In, in Genesis 26, he essentially re- reiterates the same exact promise. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing and your nation is going to multiply like crazy. And then Genesis 28 to Jacob, same exact thing. He's going to bless the nations through these people. So Jesus came as a servant in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs to be a blessing, to draw in people to himself. And then verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Christ came as a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, in order that the Gentiles, Gentiles, non-Jew, the nations, might glorify God for his mercy, for his loving kindness, for his forgiveness, his mercy, not giving you the punishment that you deserve. You will not get that punishment because Jesus came as a servant. And then we, then we get into these awesome passages. So we, we read in the middle of verse 9, it says, as it is written, and then we're going to start quoting from the Old Testament. And it's amazing how Paul does this. He's essentially going to say, the nations are who Jesus came for, is who God had in mind from the very beginning. And the way you know that, Israelite, Jewish person, is to go read your scriptures, to go read the Old, Old Testament. And Paul, of all people, he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Philippians chapter 3 makes that clear. He is one of the strongest of the Jews. And so it's going to say, hey, look back. And God's plan from the beginning is what we're going to get in these next verses. And it's amazing that Paul quotes, we're going to have four quotes from the Old Testament. Depending on how you categorize the first one, and I'll talk about that in a second. He's going to quote from the historical books. So Samuel, Chronicles, Kings. He's going to quote from uh, the Pentateuch, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. He's going to quote from uh, the writings, from Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, those types of, uh, of writings. And then he's going to quote from the prophets. And so we're going to get the whole Old Testament pointing to who Jesus came to save. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now this is a quote coming from David from either 2 Samuel 22 
or Psalm 18. If you go read 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, they're essentially using the same language. Uh, Psalm 18 is, is quoting uh, 2 Samuel 22. It's written by David, so David writes a lot of the Psalms. It's a song in 2 Samuel 22. And it's so interesting that David kind of, you're going to see this progressive development in these four quotes. David starts off, and Paul's quoting, I will praise you, I will sing your praises among the Gentiles. So David's going to go amongst the Gentiles, I'm going to sing your praises amongst the nations, and I'm going to sing to your name. So God is going to be praised among the Gentiles by David. And then keep, keep thinking about this progression. Verse 10, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 32. Right at the end of Moses' life, he's given his final sermon. Moses says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So we've gone from David praising and singing to God amongst the Gentiles to now in verse 10, there's this commandment to rejoice, Gentiles. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, with the people of God, with the Israelites the chosen people in the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy 32, going on in verse 11, and again, and notice the progression, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. There's no language about other people here. It's praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all the nations. This is Psalm 117, verse one. All the nations are to praise the Lord, and the peoples are to extol him, extol, praise enthusiastically. The nations are to praise him. In verse 12, again, Isaiah says, so coming from the prophets, notice this kind of final progression. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. There's a quote from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. The root of Jesse. So Jesse is is the father of David. We know that from Ruth chapter four. We know that from Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus. And then Jesus is a descendant of David. So Jesus is is a descendant from Jesse. He is the root of Jesse. He's the root of uh, the the people of, of God. The root of Jesse will come. Jesus will come. We think about we think about a root. In many ways, um, I, I am terrible at art. Art was like my least favorite class um, all throughout elementary school, middle school, high school. I know we got a lot of great artists in here. I am just terrible. Don't enjoy it. Don't like it. But one thing I remember from art class um, in like, I don't know, first, second grade, you know, a classic seven-year-old when they're drawing a tree, it would be very easy to draw like the limbs and the branches way thicker than, than the root. So the thing we had to do when we drew the tree, this is the only thing I enjoyed doing, you just drew lines, kept drawing them up so that the base would be thick, the root would be the foundation, and then you could draw up and then you could draw little branches off or so on and so forth. So you could, you could kind of draw your tree, but you always had to start from the base. You always had to start from the root. This is the only thing I remember from art class. Mr. Waldrop, I think, was the one who taught me in uh, elementary school art class. I was terrible at it. But I remember that the, the, the root has to be the, the base. Jesus is the root. He is the one that everything is centered upon, everything weighs upon. He is going to arise to rule the Gentiles. So it's not now the nations are just going to praise him. Jesus is going to rule 
the Gentiles. And then in him will the Gentiles hope. Revelation 22, uh, verse 16 Very much near the end, there's only five verses after this in our, in our New Testament, in all of our Bible. Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, for now who the people of God are. I am the root and the descendant of David, the descendant of Jesse, the bright morning star. Jesus has come to rule, and he will rule. He will rule over all the nations, whether we like it or not. And then verse 13, this is almost a prayer or a wish from Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Paul wants there to be hope with all joy and peace and believing, all influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul was a man that was sent to the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 2 makes it clear. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And it has always been God's plan for uh, Paul, for, for the gospel to go across borders. I want to put up that um, graphic again on the screen of uh, Paul's journey um, so you can see Jerusalem is at the very bottom right, and that's kind of where, you know, a lot of what takes place is centered. But then Paul takes the gospel all around, all across borders, across waters, to see the nations come to know Jesus. The gospel is going forward. And so I want to, want to think about our questions for tonight. What is missions? What is missions? I want to articulate that missions is making Jesus known across borders. Missions is making Jesus known across borders. The nations are to worship Jesus. And we have a responsibility to make Jesus known across borders. Now, I use specific language there, making Jesus known. So making Jesus known, we've kind of summarized over the last couple of weeks, discipleship and evangelism. So missions is discipleship and evangelism across borders. And then I'm a little bit purposefully vague with across borders. Now, in many ways, I, I do think missions is, is across uh, national borders is, is a helpful way to think about it. It's sending the Harrisons and Hannah to uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's uh, sending people all around the world. But it is also important to think about us with um, us going across borders, across maybe state lines or across city lines or across even our, our street to make Jesus known. Now we think about um, going across certain borders. It is helpful, I do think, to kind of have a distinguish, um, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, uh, a distinguish of someone who does go and goes maybe overseas, leaves all that is at home versus what you and I are going to invest in here at home. It's helpful to have that distinguish, distinguishment, but across borders is, is kind of a little bit purposefully vague. 
Now we think about Paul's salvation. Paul was just stopped dead in his tracks. And Jesus appears to him and brings him to trust in Jesus. Now that, that could happen. That, that could happen for many people around the world. But it seems like what God is calling us to through the writings of the New Testament is things like 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. That we are to go, we have a message and we are to go take that message of reconciliation and be ambassadors for Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That we are to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem. And that would be kind of home territory. Judea and Samaria, a little bit outside of home territory. And to the ends of the earth. We are to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. Why? Because Romans chapter 10 makes it clear that people need to hear the gospel. People need to hear about Jesus in order to be able to, to come to faith and to spend eternity with God. Eternity is at stake for the nations. I read some number yesterday that it was like 137,000 people are dying every day without access to Jesus. And so it's just insane numbers, insane numbers. And we could, just get, I could, we could give so many statistics. I'm not going to overwhelm you with that at this point. But we have a role to play somehow, some way, in seeing the gospel preached to the nations. And then what is a missionary? And I'm, a, I'm kind of almost did both definitions so that I could use a little bit of different language in, in both of them. A missionary disciples and evangelizes, makes Jesus known, cross-culturally and far from home. Disciples and evangelizes cross-culturally and far from home. I do think it is helpful that a person who, who leaves home, they have a unique calling upon themselves and a unique experience before themselves. So Casey and I, my wife and I, we spent two years um, 2017 to 2019, before uh, we were called here to Greer Station, living in, in Nairobi, Kenya. And, and we saw that the Lord had, had called us there, and it was, it was such a unique calling. We had left our, our, our lives. We packed up three uh, 50-pound bags each, and we, and we moved our lives overseas. And it was uh, tremendous. It was amazing to invest in churches and, in, and disciple people and evangelize and be influenced by, by local uh, believers. But this organization that we work for had like 150 Kenyan and Tanzanian staff. And it was, it was kind of a unique development in that these guys, they were, they were hired by our organization to work in, in local churches and invest and disciple and share the gospel. But in some ways, it, it was a little bit different than Casey and me because Casey and me, we had, we'd left everything behind. And so we were here. We were, we were there to just soak our lives in being in Kenya. And for our fellow Kenyans, they were there to, uh, in some ways, work a job, invest in their homeland. But it, but it, was, it was unique because they, they were living in the place that they'd always lived in. And we loved them, and it was so good to invest with them. But there is something. It was, it was extremely hard. Casey and I faced trial after trial in only two years. Um, every four to six months asking, kind of, what are we doing? Why, why are we here? But taking the gospel to the nations is vital to cross cultures and to go far from home. 
Now, yes, you and I need to disciple and evangelize neighbors, coworkers, family, friends. We need to invest our lives in it. It is so important. But there is something unique to what God is calling people to, to go cross-culturally and to go far from home and to maybe have to learn another language to see the gospel go forward. I want to skip down to verses 20 and 21 in Romans 15. It's a beautiful passage about what, what Paul's goal is. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul made it his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. He wanted to see those who had never been told to have their eyes opened and to understand the beauty of the gospel. And we all have a role to play in that. I want to talk more about that here in just a second. But I love, I love this passage. So what does missions require of us? I've got seven things, and then we'll be done. What does missions require of us? One is to know and love Jesus. Walk closely with Jesus. If the Lord calls you here to Greer for the next 50 years, know and love Jesus, and you will impact the nations. And you definitely need to know and love Jesus if you are going to pack everything up and move for the sake of taking the gospel. Two, let's pray. Let's pray for the unreached, those people who the gospel has not been named among them. I get an email from Joshua Project, and you could go online and sign up for it. And it sends an email every day. You can tell, me, tell them how often you want to get it. And you can pray for different people around the world um, in very different places, very different cultures than here who don't have the gospel. And you'll be able to see, do they have the Bible translated in their language? Do they have a Jesus film in their language? And you can pray and labor through prayer. Pray for missionaries. Pray for those who have been called to go. And if you don't know any missionaries, I would love to connect you with some. The IMB is a great um, really resource that we have. The International Mission Board, the sending agency of the uh, SBC. There's missionaries spread throughout the world. And we even have some in here uh, who have spent time decades overseas um, investing their lives. So pray for missionaries. And then pray for yourself Pray and ask the Lord if he is calling you what he is calling you to. Pray for your heart to be open. Third, count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus. Now, in many ways, this comes first to even do we want to follow Jesus. Luke uh, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33 talks about counting the cost of following Jesus because it is going to cost you everything. I think about, um, in counting the cost, read missionary biographies. Read about people like Jim Elliott. He said that um, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He gives what he cannot keep. We cannot keep our lives. We have one life. It is, it is but a vapor. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. He's going to give his life to gain what he cannot lose. Glory, beauty of walking with Jesus, of making him known around the world. People like William Carey, 
who talked about he was, he was on his, his deathbed, um, and, he, and he said, I, I don't want you guys to talk about Dr. Carey. Rather, talk about Dr. Carey's savior. He left the UK, never returned after 40 years, um, spending time in India, seeing the gospel go forward. People like Lottie Moon, and we're going to talk more about her here in just a, just a minute, who said uh, that she had language around um, kind of thinking about not um, if our call is to go to the heathen, and you'll, you'll notice uh, different times of writing based on um, language that they'll use, not if we're to go to the heathen, but almost we should ask ourselves if we should dare stay at home because the call is so clear to go. So maybe some of us in here need to ask, not should we go, but why should I stay? Why should I stay here in Greer? And there may be a million great answers, and there, and there definitely are. But why should I stay? People like Adoniram and Ann Judson, who invested the gospel in Myanmar and saw people come to, to faith. So read missionary biographies. That'll help us to count the cost. Fourth, join a church. We need the wisdom of brothers and sisters to know, to speak into our lives. Leaders, pastors, community group leaders, people who have walked with us for a long time, to be able to speak into our lives to know how we are to gauge, engage with missions. Fifth, engage in discipleship and evangelism. One of the most profound things to me um, in thinking about moving overseas is that Casey and I, nothing changed about us when we got on a plane, literally nothing. And our lives, even in, in Nairobi, Kenya, I was going over some um, pictures earlier and I was thinking about putting some on the screen, but just didn't have time to, to get them. I mean, it looked normal in many ways. We went to the mall, we ate food. I know we probably don't go to the mall here. Everything is at a mall in Kenya, so you have to go to the mall if you want to shop or grocery shop or eat any food. But we would you know, go out to eat, we'd go for walks. We would do a lot of normal things. But you don't change when you, when you get on an airplane. So we need to engage in discipleship and evangelism here and now. Sixth, give generously. Give generously. There should be a, a graphic on the screen um, that is highlighting the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So there's, there's a Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year that supports the International Mission Board, which is uh, thousands of missionaries spread out around the world. And so this will be something that we kind of highlight and promote over the next few weeks. And then um, come a few weeks from now, we'll have, we'll have a day and a time that we can, we can give. The goal is $185 million so that missionaries, anywhere from college students, maybe even late high school students, all the way to um, people who have been investing their lives for, for decades and decades, can be self-supported and not have to spend time raising money. They can get the gospel. They can walk closely with Jesus and share about him. They can make Jesus known. It's, this is just an incredible avenue that we have being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I'd encourage you to pray about giving generously. And then seventh, go. Maybe the Lord is calling you to go. To take, take up your life, to go wherever he would call you. Imagine 10 years from now, I was just thinking about this earlier, imagine 10 years from now, we have half of the people in here, half of the members of TCGS are still here investing at TCGS. 
I asked Piper on the way back how old she was. Piper Gilliam, she's, uh, she's 10. So 10 years from now, she'll be 20. You know, she's hanging out at North Greenville University. She's become a member of our church. We've invested in people. We've discipled people like Piper Gilliam. We've evangelized. We've seen new people come to faith. We've loved Greer. Maybe by then we've moved into Ridgewood. Um, I, can't, I can't make any promises, but maybe by then we have our own space. Um, and we've just invested in each other for a whole decade. And we've just loved each other. And half of us are here still doing that, making the gospel known, making Jesus known here in Greer. A quarter of us have gone out and we're, we've planted churches throughout North America. We've planted churches in Lyman and Taylor's and Duncan and Greer and Greenville and Columbia. No one wants to go to Columbia. I grew up in Columbia. Um, very few people want to go to Columbia. Um, I think it's kind of like the armpit of South Carolina's, um, having lived there for 18 years. But we've gone to Columbia because the gospel is needed there. We've gone to Tennessee, we've gone to California, wherever we've gone, to take the gospel, to make Jesus known. And then a quarter of us are spread throughout the world, making Jesus known in places that feel totally foreign to us. China, South Africa, Kenya, Iceland, Halifax, Nova Scotia, any number of places. And we are supported, we're prayed for, we're tethered to the church at Greer Station. We're loved, we're invested in by that 50% that's still here and many others, hopefully, that have come to faith in Jesus. Imagine what that would be like. I mean, it's just beautiful to see the gospel go forward. So what is God's will for my life? How do I discern God's will. We, you know, I asked a bunch of questions at the beginning, and I don't know the answers to all those questions. I would love to talk about them with you. But we do know that we are to make Jesus known. We do know that God's will is for the nations to worship him. Every knee is going to bow before Lord Jesus, and we have a part to play. Give generously, go, engage in discipleship, evangelism, pray. We need to do all of these things. Jesus is worthy. We have one life to offer him. And it may be gone tomorrow. So let us invest because Jesus is worth it. He is the first and the last. He is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. He is God incarnate. He's given his life as a substitute, as a sacrifice to redeem each and every one of us. So if you do not know Jesus, I pray probably none of this makes any sense. Why would you take up your life and move everything? Why would you give hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to see the gospel go forward? It's because Jesus is worth it. And I pray that you would uh, talk to someone, talk to me, talk to someone around you about who is this Jesus. Read the gospels. Jesus is worth it everything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We have life through him. Let's pray. God, we come before you now just humbled by the opportunity to know you, humbled by the opportunity to to have your word. 
before us. Lord, we many times in many ways don't know exactly what your will is in every moment. There's so many decisions we have to make throughout the day. And yet your word makes clear what your will is and what we are to engage in and what we are to spend time in. Evangelism, discipleship, making Jesus known. We know we are to, to ask, the, ask you to help us put on the fruits of the Spirit, to be less angry. We, we want to have our character shaped by the gospel. But Lord, we also know that we see very clearly that from the beginning of time, from Genesis, from the promises to the patriarchs, the nations were in view. A lost and broken world all around was in view. And Lord, you call us to engage in this somehow, some way. And so, Father, I beg that in even in this room tonight, that over the next weeks, months, and years, we would see great fruit from thinking about what, how are we called to invest in the nations. Maybe some of us are to be sent. Maybe some of us are, are to be to pray. Some of us are to do FaceTime calls and Zoom calls to encourage. Some of us are called to go and visit. Lord, help us to know how we are to engage. There are so many dying every day without Jesus, without a saving relationship with our Lord and our Savior. Lord, implant that on upon our hearts. Help us to know you more. Help us to love you. And we beg that you would just make clear how we are to engage. We love you. We can only come before you because of the blood of Jesus. Amen.